football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys with occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division Three football. Yeah, I'm Pat Coleman, the guy in charge of D3Football.com. On this podcast, we're joined by Greg Thomas. Oh, yeah, this is going to be good. You may remember that Keith McMillan has said in the past he works for the Washington Post. Well, you know, that means his post in Washington, a little busy these days. So we've uh, brought in Greg for this one. Greg, good to have you back in the pod. Thanks, Pat. It's great to be here. I'm always happy to answer the call. You know, mid-January isn't traditionally a particularly news-heavy time for Division Three football, but this year we've got some draft talks, some coaching changes to talk about, and, and coming up in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have live action on the scoreboard to follow. Uh, live action on the scoreboard. That sounds great. You know, coming from a uh, off-season in which we had you know, one game at a time, uh, basically. There was supposed to be a week that there were two games, and I don't remember if that actually happened or not. I've blocked out October, and, you know, there was nothing to, to write home about in September. But, you know, if you look through, uh, you know, February 6th through May 8th, the 14 weeks that will uh, define the 2020-21 uh, spring season of NCAA Division Three football, We've got more than 10 conferences. We'll have a little bit over 200 games starting, you know, all the way on February 6th when we've got uh, the American Southwest Conference. We've got the Southern Athletic Association and we have a a game up in Washington State. Then all the way through May 8th, assuming that the UMAC gets all the way to the end and has whatever its uh, championship weekend is for its group of of schools, then uh, we'll have a game or games on that weekend as well. It is what's really strange is that, you know, we have 20% or less of the normal number of games and we have it spread over a little bit of a wider span from, like I said, the beginning of February to the beginning of May. Yeah. And conferences are scheduling things in, in chunks that are convenient for them and they're geographic locations. Obviously we're going to start in the South and move our way North as Weather is going to be a little more uh, suitable for for outdoor football activity. Um, You know, like you said, we have a dozen or so conferences uh, planning to play some games. A number of teams and conferences that aren't scheduling that are probably looking for uh, some game partners across the way and finding creative ways to use their 114 or so uh, practice days that the NCAA has allowed them to have. Those of you who are Division Three baseball fans will actually find this schedule very, very familiar. It uh, really mirrors the early season baseball schedule. So we'll talk about uh, that and a little bit more coming up in just a couple of minutes. But uh, first, I want to let you know that this edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Red Heritage Medical. You know how D3 grads go pro in something other than sports, right? Even the sports guys go pro in something other than sports. Alumni of D3 schools are doing all sorts of things. And Red Heritage Medical is the only Native American-owned orthopedic implant distributor. They service health facilities across the American Southwest, the actual American Southwest. I'm talking about Arizona and New Mexico primarily. And are focused on providing high-quality medical products at competitive market prices with superior product knowledge and service. More information on this is available at redheritagemedical.com. Now, this seems a little out of the blue, right? It doesn't cover our normal coverage area and that sort of thing. But this is brought to us by 
Maryville alum, uh, I'm sorry, pardon me, Merville alum Brent Watts. Brent Watts is uh, one of the uh, one of the people who has signed up for our Patreon. He's one of our Patreon subscribers. So we definitely appreciate his support. Uh, I think he wanted me to mention that uh, the Fighting Scots beat Piedmont in their season opener. He's a men's basketball alum, which is why we uh, know about him. He put a Zoom call on his uh, calendar so everybody would think he was uh, unavailable for a meeting. In fact, he was just watching the webcast uh, back on Friday afternoon. So we are very appreciative uh, for Brent and really all of our Patreon subscribers, which are making this now happen because otherwise good possibility that none of this was going to happen anymore. Absolutely. I'd like to thank uh, Brent and shout out to the Marvel Fighting Scots and also thank uh, Red Heritage Medical for supporting the podcast and supporting uh, the healthcare industry as they do. Um, certainly one of the more uh, important uh, industries uh, in the country right now. So thank you, Brent, and thank you, Red Heritage Medical. So, yeah, our friends over in the Division Three basketball world on D3Hoops.com are wondering whether we're even going to have an NCAA tournament. You can actually find more coverage about that on D3Hoops.com today, so we're not going to belabor it on this particular podcast. Uh, but we have, you know, like we said, games starting in February. We have a bunch of games in March. The busy weeks uh, are going to be, you know, kind of a four-week span from March 12th through April 2nd, 3rd, 4th or so, uh, when we'll have in action simultaneously, we'll have the PAC, the ODAC, the OAC, the USA South, the Heartland, the MIAA, the NAC, and the Empire Four. It's not the Empire 8 because uh, none of the state schools, the ones uh, in the uh, SUNYAC for other sports, none of the state schools are going to be cleared to play, or at least they weren't cleared to play early enough to be included in the Empire 8 schedule. So you've got your four of Utica, Alfred, St. John Fisher, and Hartwick. They're all playing a little round robin. Um, And then, you know, uh, we talked about the UMAC uh, going late. Let's see. So the SAA, kind of three little mini pods. Uh, Sewanee. Sewanee is in this situation where they are not allowing uh, their teams to leave campus. Uh, so Sewanee's not playing any road games. And Sewanee football opponents are like, okay, well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, we're not going to come to your place either. And Sewanee also has uh, some other things in place, which might make it interesting for them to try to play their winter sports or their spring sports. Like you have to take Sewanee's uh, COVID test in order to come on campus. So that might not happen. Uh, the ARC playing only three games um, just because of uh, the way the schedule breaks. It looks like Dubuque is going to play four. So that's interesting. And then you've got like the MIAA is playing a full six. That's everybody but Finlandia is playing a round robin. The Heartland, which we talked about back in October, uh, is still on the schedule to play a full seven. And you got a bunch of conferences playing kind of these two division setups where you've got, you know, Division A and Division B playing little round robins among themselves. This is popular in the 10 team conferences, especially because then you kind of cross over. And in that fifth week, you have that little kind of opportunity to give somebody a trophy banner plaque, you know, something that uh, resembles a conference championship for whatever we want to call this season. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's, you know, a lot of conference commissioners and, and, the ADs and conferences did a lot of work to uh, put together uh, some sort of spring activity and for them to be able to put together 
at even this uh, four games plus a fifth game for crossover purposes to uh, have a, have a championship game and have a, have a conference championship for this academic year um, is, you know, I think it's important. I think it's a good step toward getting back to uh, normalcy a little bit. The, uh, the OAC playing on Friday nights, ODAC playing on Friday nights, a lot of uh, scheduling is going to be, you know, dependent on when the field is available. And if we've seen anything in the early goings of the basketball season, I think you have to understand too that it'll be interesting to see, you know, if all of these scheduled games happen or, you know, how many players are able to take part in these games. We're going to talk with coaches Mike Clark of Bridgewater and Jason Bachtel of Howard Payne coming up in a little bit about these sorts of things. But, you know, we saw it uh, and we've seen it throughout the fall, right? You know, not everybody has all of their players available. Denver Broncos quarterbacks being the extreme exception or extreme thing that proves the rule or, uh, you know, and then, you know, down to other things that uh, are much maybe less visible or less impactful. Nonetheless, going to make it very interesting to see what happens with these games. Yeah, I think, you know, we saw throughout the fall in the NFL and in the FBS season, you know, teams are going to have to really be careful with how they manage their rosters and which groups of people hang out with, with other groups of people to make sure that you have enough players to play at a, you know, at a particular position group. Uh, from week to week. So, uh, you know, it's one more logistical challenge that uh, coaches are going to have to handle this spring, uh, along with uh, sliding into the busy spring schedules and field availability and and everything else that is going to happen with spring sports and fall sports sharing the same calendar. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. So if you go to the d3football.com homepage right now, and you go to the scores menu and click on full scores, you are going to see a list of everything that we know starting with February 6th. So get an idea of what games are on tap and who's playing each individual week. That is what we know about. So we don't know about the CCIW. We don't know about the MIAC. You know, these are conferences that uh, from every indication are willing to, interested in, planning to play in the spring, but don't have schedules out. Uh, for example, like uh, the CCIW, we have been told, if you read the Quad Cities Times, I think that's correct. Yeah, Quad City Times says that uh, North Central and Wheaton are not participating in the spring football season there for the uh, CCIW. Uh, the MAAC, I think if we were to make some educated guesses, we could probably think that uh, Carlton and St. Olaf probably won't participate. They were the first to opt out of basketball. MIAC basketball is going on without them, uh, but uh, I would have to think that football might well be on that list as well. And if you think about it, too, you know, those are the same sort of schools that uh, spearheaded the push to get the uh, University of St. Thomas out of the league as well. You know, in the Northwest Conference, there's like two little pods, too. The schools in Washington State, so Whitworth, Pacific Lutheran, and Puget Sound. And then you've got the Oregon schools, which are George Fox, Pacific, and Linfield, except Linfield's not going to participate, which makes sense. Can you imagine, like, the the asterisks we would have to put on or the discussion we would have to have about the streak if they were playing just two games and God forbid that they then lost one of them. What a, what a strange way for the streak to end. If, and for those who don't know what the streak is, that's consecutive winning seasons by Linfield. 
it's a lot of consecutive winning seasons and it's something that our friends up in Linfield are very, very proud of, as they should be. It's a, you know, it's a really, really impressive streak. 64. Yeah, I can't imagine, though, putting that putting that on the line in two games just seems just seems nuts. And then, you know, obviously, there's a number of conferences we haven't talked about, like the NJAC. I think there are schools that want to play. I think if I'm, you know, if I'm Wesley, I want everything I can do to get games in, even if even if the only game is against Salisbury, you know, on some Saturday in April or, you know, on May 1st or something like that, you know. We don't have any guarantee that Wesley is going to have an athletic program come the fall of 2021. No, that's that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think it would be really important for those student athletes at Wesley to get one more chance to play and not um, have their seasons end and possibly their 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 program and um, sort of unexpectedly at the end of 2019. Yeah, I guess it's never good when the end of your when you find out about the end of your career retroactively uh, a year and a half later. But for those who haven't been following, of course, Wesley as an institution is in the process of being purchased by Delaware State University. These are two schools that are, you know, a matter of a mile plus apart in Dover, Delaware. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, yet to be learned. We will know more about these things as you know, January progresses and then February. But, uh, you know, like Greg said, we've got football to look forward to. And here on this podcast, we have three interviews to look forward to as well. First, we're going to talk with Quinn Miners. Quinn is a senior guard for UW-Whitewater, foregoing his senior season to go pro. You never hear that in the Division III football world. And we're talking to him about that decision and the various, uh, you know, pro uh, showcase opportunities that he has coming up. Some of them coming up here this very week. Uh, we'll follow that with an interview with Mike Clark. Mike Clark, the uh, longtime head coach at Bridgewater, his 26th season here in the spring will be the last. And then Jason Bachtel, the head coach at Howard Payne, will be his first season. He joined the program mere days, it seems, before practice started. Practice started for them back on January 7th, and we'll talk with him about how He's getting adjusted to that job, how they are getting adjusted to him. And, oh, yeah, by the way, having to field a team on February 6th. More on that in just a minute. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Quinn Miners. Senior offensive lineman for the Warhawks of UW-Whitewater, giving up whatever the spring season might be at Whitewater, or anybody in Division Three for that matter, to go pro, to enter the, uh, the pro draft and the combine sets. Quinn, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah thank you for having me on. I always love talking about you know, football, specifically Division Three football and, and stuff like that. You know, I think there's you know, a lot of great things happening for Division Three football. So, so tell, tell me about the decision, right? It is a decision in which, you know, not a lot of D3 guys ever have to make this call, right? Do I stick around for a senior year? Do I go off and go pro? So what was it like to kind of make that calculation? Yeah, so going into decision-making, you know, a lot of it was just, you know, doing control, not control. That's kind of the mentality that kind of started with this thing. So I didn't really focus on, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, were not in my control. 
Um, so, so it was a combination of, you know, talking with a lot of people to make sure that, you know, I'm making the, the correct decision. Um, I think the, the coaches, the coaching staff at, uh, at Whitewater, um, my dad, and then at the end of the, the day, you know, it's, it's what does the, the agent have, you know, for knowledge to, you know, how, what is the right decision to make? And, and you know, talking with my family, how most guys do. And, you know, looking at the, the, the national grade that I got, you know, from, from the NFL and just, just talking with my agent, it was, you know, there was kind of three, three main decisions here that, that were, it was either one of them was, you know, transfer, you know, go to a bigger school and, um, you know, that level of competition that's going to be held against me being a Division three football player. Uh, the second option was, you know, stay at Whitewater, get another season in, or the third one was, let's declare and do this thing this year. And, um, you know, transferring was kind of the least option, least likely option for me because, you know, I got one more year of eligibility left. You have to go to a place, guarantee you're going to be a starter and match with an offensive line, uh, you know, right away, which is hard, which is hard to do. It takes all five of us, you know, to, you know, do the great thing. And I think I've already proved, proven a lot, you know, at Whitewater and, you know, in Division Three. And, you know, with who knows how long COVID's going to go. I mean, I don't want to, you know, Spring, spring it, but, but you, you know, know what if there's, there's not another season, season next year? You know, now I'm, you know, I'm getting, getting older, and you know, that's, that's always something, something that scouts are going to look at. So, so I looked at the national, national grade that I got. You know, I talked with everybody, and it was, was like, like, you know, this, this is going to be the decision. decision. I kind of waited until the last second. You know, within the last month, just kind of make sure I'm soaking up all the information correctly and making a you know well-informed decision. And, and certainly, certainly did accomplish quite, quite a bit at Whitewater, obviously, right? Played in the Stag Bowl, you know, helped, helped, get, helped get the team back to the Stag Bowl after having been out for a while. Uh, you know, D3Football.com American. What, uh, you talked about getting a, uh, getting a national grade. How does that grading, like, work? Yeah, so I guess scouts and, and whatever from, like, the, the national and the, and the Blesto, they must have, you know, watched my film, you know, see the height and weight and just all the other kind of measurables and, and then they kind of came, came up with, with you know, kind of everyone, everyone gets graded, you know, going into, and, you know, my grade was uh, a 5.04, which is um, draftable. So I got a draftable grade as a, you know, a junior you know, in Division three Whitewater. And, you know, the, the, my agent brought me the sheet and I was able to kind of look at, you know, the numbers and where I fell between, you know, big name guys. And so that was kind of the, that was one of the big decisions, you know, that kind of helped push it forward. What, what did, did you guys end up doing at Whitewater this fall in terms of football, like practices, that sort of thing? So during the fall, I was kind of a little bit more detached from the team, per se, just because, you know, I didn't want to risk as much, um, you know, getting, um, you know, COVID or anything like that, because I was really focused on my training um, at next level in Waukesha, Wisconsin with uh, uh, Brad Arnett. And so, so the, the beginning couple um, weeks were, you know, non, non-contact, like non-padded practices and just kind of going over super basic drills. And I had a conversation, you know, with all the coaches like, you know, do I need to be there kind of thing or, or what can we, it was just, you know, everything's a new circumstance here. So it's kind of figuring out the new, the new things. The coaches are super flexible, letting you just keep training at next level. Because, you know, if you get contact tracing, you have two weeks on, and I can't afford to lose a week of training. And then, um, you know, a couple of weeks later, they kind of they started getting into added practices. So then that was my, I was like, hey, these would be really beneficial for me. 
because, because I'm, I'm trying, trying to say I can, I can play, play all three, three positions, positions on the line, line so, so I want to get, get some live center reps. reps. So that, so that was, was kind of when I joined, joined back the team and for about five weeks. Um, every, every other day, day we were practicing, um, you know, pad practices, practices and, you know, getting, getting tested every, you know, every, every week or so. And so that, so that was kind of the process at, at Whitewater. It was really awesome to be able to practice with, you know, the guys and, and do all that kind of stuff. Well, well, and that, that leads me to another thing, thing I was wondering, wondering about. Is like, where do you, where do you think, or where have people told you that they feel you would fit in at the next level? So the the big, the big thing for me is um, definitely be the interior three. The you know the, the, try to be a swing player. So left guard, center, right guard. And that's that's a big thing because you know you don't want to just be a guard. You don't want to just be a tackle. You want to try to be as versatile as possible. You know, you know, if, if you're, you're not, not starting, starting offensive lineman, lineman, you know, you, you want, want to be that, that you know, that second or third guy that's, that's traveling with the team as an offensive lineman that can jump in in any of those spots. Yeah. You know, yeah. with my with my height at 6'3", you know, I'll definitely on the short end of their tackle. tackle. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to limit myself, but it depends on, you know, what a team sees fit. But I think, think uh, you know, obviously playing left guard, white water, and then the interior is where I can, you know, find a place. You know, you know, D3, D3 hasn't had a ton, ton of success or maybe respect in the NFL, NFL draft over the course of the last five years, but can't, can't really say the same for offensive linemen, right? right? Uh, you, know, uh, you know, two offensive linemen that have gone uh, in the draft from D3 schools. Have you talked to, for example, Ben Barge from St. John's who got uh, drafted by the Jaguars last year? Unfortunately, I have not. You know, I've searched his name on social media. It does not look like he's a social media guy. And I totally... Um, you know, don't respect, respect that because I don't like it. I don't enjoy it either, but I just have it just because like, it kind of seems like something you gotta have to have. Um, you know, that was something that I would, you know, I would enjoy talking to, but um, a big help, you know, at least in the beginning of this process was uh, Nate Truman from Whitewater. And, you know, he kind of helped me understand a couple of things through this process. And, you know, we have the same agent as well as, it's a Kumaro agent as well from Whitewater. So, yeah, we're on this, this offseason or this run out to the draft is going to be completely different than even last year's, which was already different um, because, you know, I think we still had combine and we still had all of the post-season uh, showcase games and workouts and that sort of thing. So tell us a little bit about what is on your docket and, you know, the sort of things that are, uh, are coming up for you now. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm already, already down, down here uh, in uh, Texas. Texas. I'm, I'm working out at uh, Exos down, down here. So, so we got, got a nice little group of guys. You know, I was preparing for the combine. Um, as, as far as, you know, postseason games, uh, I, I've been invited to the NFLPA game and the East West Round game, but those both are not being played. They're going virtual, which that just means it'll be like two days of just Zoom calls with, with scouts and, and whoever wants to kind of just ask you questions. And then um, I've also was invited to the uh, Kyle Greer Showcase, and that'll be in uh, Fort Worth. And then that's an actual, you know, uh, there'll be a couple practices and, and a game to get, you know, some, some live reps. So I'm using, you know, looking forward to using those opportunities, one, you know, at the NFLP and East West Round to kind of show, you know, who I am as a, you know, who I am as Quinn Miners, who I am as, you know, a Whitewater Warhawk and, you know, a D3 football player and everything like that. Because, you know, in a normal, normal year, these scouts will be able to come to school, talk to you, and, and all that kind of stuff. Now there's so much, you know, I don't know, so much, so much more to know about a player. player. Yeah. Because, because there was that, that opportunity to, 
you know, you know go, go to school and see everybody. everybody. So it'll, it'll be cool. cool. I'm, I'm really, really you know, thankful, thankful for, for, you know, getting, getting invited, invited to those games. games. Right. right. You, you emulate the interview, interview experience of these combines and these strap showcases, showcases by having these conversations with, with scouts, scouts and with coaches and whatever. But, but then, then how does the, uh, how does the workout portion of this get reflected? You then, you know, is there, are there workouts on video that they can watch or that sort of thing? How do they get to see you in, in action, especially since, you know, the D3 guys basically didn't play at all this year. Yeah, yeah, so, so they kind of have to go off of, you know, old old film of, you know, my, my junior, junior year. Um, I was able to, you know, start a YouTube channel kind of at the height of uh, quarantine and stuff. And I was able to, you know, through talking with scouts, kind of send them videos, you know, me snapping into a garbage can and pulling and, you know, doing, just trying to be creative because, you know, just sitting around and not doing anything is getting anything done. So you got to be able to, you know, be a little creative. So, you know, set up a GoPro in the backyard. Snap into, into a garbage, garbage can, can, you know, so accurate, accurate. I could be snapping and moving. Um, I was actually at uh, Michael Johnson's performance about a month ago, and I was working with uh, Duke Manningweather. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, uh, you should definitely be familiar with him. He's a, you know, a great offensive line um, coach, and he, you know, he helped me for those three weeks I was there to just keep improving. And at the end of those three weeks with Duke, I put together a little kind of Work out a highlight, highlight video, video, and that, that kind of got sent out to, you know, NFL, NFL teams, and um, just to kind of show where I'm at, because, you know, they, they go from, from looking at the national championship game and just seeing a D3 football player, and they have, you know, certain criticisms, and that was kind of my first opportunity to show what I've been able to do with transforming my body and, 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 and you know, eliminating as many questions as, as I can as, you know, a Division three football player. Well, what, what sort of transformation is that? Like last, last year, I listed at six three three twenty. I don't know how that actually uh, translates to what the you know what, what your actual measurables are. So, what is that? Uh, what kind of transformation are we talking about? Yeah. So I would say, um, I don't know. One quote that I got from a, from an agent I was kind of going through the interview process with them was that it's sloppy midsection. And, you know, you know whatever. whatever. I'll, I'll take, take it and, you know, put it on, on the board of things to work on. on. So I, I was basically... I have, I have a sloppy, sloppy midsection. midsection. <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my jersey didn't fit in white water. I mean, I'm not sure if you, you, you know, my belly was, you know, sticking out all the time. And and I would definitely say in that championship game, I was way heavier than I should have been. Um, I was up to 335 pounds. And, you know, not a great looking 335 pounds. So... I kind of, you know, when I was starting to work out with Brad, when, when Jim Jim started opening up, that was a big thing for me was um, lowering my body fat percentage. And I started, I started at um, next level at 328 pounds, uh, 18.9% body fat. And, you know, by the time I was getting ready to leave, I was at 321 pounds at 13.5% body fat. So I was able to, you know, really kind of transform my body that way and be more, being, being way, way more lean, lean at heavier weight. All right, All right so, so last year at the combine, Ben Barch was like one of the media darlings because he was telling this great story about how he bulked up from, uh, you know, playing tight end at St. John's to playing offensive line by, you know, throwing together this crazy concoction protein shake. I'm here to ask you enough to put you on the spot. What is your story that is going to get you noticed at these sorts of things? What's going to set you apart? Yeah, yeah, I think I have a, a great story. story. Um, you, know, you know, the past two summers, um, I've spent a lot of time up in uh, Canada, and um, 
I had, had to, you know, know be creative, creative with workouts. workouts. You know, I brought, I brought a weight set with me, and I was working out on an island in the middle of nowhere, you know, in Canada. So, you know, certain things like that, you know, that most people don't have that experience where the last few summers I've been spending all my time on a fishing camp up in Canada with my great uncle. So, you know, taking propane tanks to whatever, you know, they're 100-pound painting tanks carrying around the island and being, being creative, creative with, you know, going, going for runs, runs on the log road, road in the middle of nowhere and hoping the bears just show up. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I got to stay in shape. shape. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I got to ask, uh, this, is a, this is a, a, a movie, movie from, from my era, era but you've ever seen Rocky IV. Yeah, yep. that's absolutely, yeah, yeah, everyone really loves that, you know, to reference that, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. We're putting the music from that exercise montage in him, you know, running through the snow and, um, I don't know, uh, fighting frozen meat or whatever, hanging in the, in the cabin or whatever. You know, the common team doing whatever it takes, kind of. And that was what I was willing to do. And I continue to do whatever it takes. All right, so since we recorded this interview last week, Quinn Miners has since been invited to the Senior Bowl, which is another great showcase for him. Obviously big for Quinn, big for Division Three. You know, we talk, uh, we mentioned in the podcast interview about Ben Barch. That's the guy from St. John's who made a splash at the Senior Bowl last year, parlayed that into a great experience at the NFL Scouting Combine and played, you know, not only drafted, but played games in key situations for the Jacksonville Jaguars this past season. And just to um, follow up on one other thing in that interview, uh, our colleague Adam Turr checked in with Ben Barch, and he was more than glad to share his info with uh, Quinn Miners. So we sent that along, and hopefully they've had that conversation by now. Adam Turr always coming through in the clutch for around the nation and Division Three student athletes all over the place. Uh, you know, it, any Division Three player uh, is going to be a long shot at the NFL level. Uh, but the recent success of guys like Ben Barge and Ali Marpet and, and Matt Gano have carved out a path for linemen in particular to get serious attention from the NFL. Uh, Quinn's opportunity gets a big boost from his participation in the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama uh, in a couple of weeks where he's going to have the chance uh, to line up on the field and practice against high-end Division I talent and show that he can hold his own physically uh, with that level of talent. Uh, Ben Barch really impressed scouts at that event last year, and uh, Quinn is going to have the same chance to prove himself uh, down there in a couple of weeks. There's a bonus episode for those of you who are the Patreon subscribers who talk with Quinn about the importance of the practices at these games. You can hear his answer on that. Uh, I also suggested to to him kind of off the air that to kind of take this story about working out up at the cabin and, you know, just workshop it a little, take it out on the road, you know, try to really refine it. There's some great elements in that story. It has the makings of something pretty cool. It just has to, I think, work on the delivery and, you know, work on the uh, details and just kind of really hone it and then bring it home when uh, when given these interview opportunities. I know. I think I feel like there's a way to TikTok that. Is that what the kids are doing these days? Uh, really set something together, montage style. Um, <laughs> with the music, uh, with the music from Rocky Four, right? I'm sure. If look, if there's exact exactly, you know, uh, at the end of the interview, Quinn said, "Whatever it takes," and whatever it takes, while not. The title of a Survivor montage song from Rocky IV, it definitely could have been. Oh, we're out at the lake. Jim is miles away now. But I'm needing my raps. Get my work in, too. 
Cause I don't know how To lug these propane tanks and get away from you Whatever it takes, I am winning to do Whatever it takes, I am coming for you Now in the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, joined by Mike Clark, the head coach at Bridgewater, uh, entering or in the middle of the 26th and final season. So first of all, Coach, uh, congratulations on your recently announced upcoming retirement. Well, I've gotten a lot of um, congratulations, and I remember it was the day after it, it, we announced it here, and I'm walking to work, and somebody says congratulations, and I'm thinking, like, for what? I'm just... I'm still working, but I, I do. It's, it's um, I probably didn't anticipate um, you know, some of the the, the, the contact and, and the things that I've been honored. You know, the people that have reached out. You know, the volume, um, the, the scope, uh, the age of people that have kind of reached back out to me, and and that kind of reminded me is that you know the business we're in it. Hopefully it should be that way at any level in coaching, but I think sometimes in Division Three it's that way out of necessity. Uh, Bridgewater has been very good to me. I've become a thousand air in my time at Bridgewater, but it, it, what did we get into? Is we have, um, oh boy, I've been around some great people. I've made great contacts. I've been fortunate to have some good influence, and gosh, I've had a lot of people have had some great influence on me. So it's, um, I think the day, the time was right. I, I do believe that. I, some people have master plans. I remember I saw Pete Carroll this uh, fall talked about he puts five-year plans together, you know, and he was able to put a five-year plan. And uh, I, I don't know that I've done that. You know, I think I sort of got to a certain point. I was kind of going, I said, I'm going to go year to year. Certainly we had the great year in 19. Gosh, I was looking forward to 20, uh, recruiting off that, building off that, um, you know, getting that base set again and that, you know, when we made our run and you were there back in 99 and 2000, you know, a great season turned into a run. There's a difference between having a great season and a run. And that was, gosh, I was, I was ready. We were moving, moving in that direction. And then like a lot of people, the plug got pulled. And I just think that the timing was right. You know, we can discuss the, the details, but uh, I think once where I'm at right now, uh, I thought I probably made the good decision. I don't know that there was a, when St. Paul wasn't a Roman road, God didn't knock me off a horse, but there, there might've been four or five different signs where I said, now's the time. You said, uh, one of the things you said was about the age of some of the people who reached out to you. And that made me think that over the course of 26 years as a head coach, you've coached some guys who are now, I guess they always have been my age, but they are my age, right? Late forties. That is more than a generation of, you know, now no longer young men that you have coached just at Bridgewater, let alone, you know, in your uh, assistant coaching stops before coming to Bridgewater? I mean, I, I got to the point, uh, Jerry Claiborne, the late Jerry Claiborne, and I don't know whether you know him from Kentucky, uh, you know, Frank Beamer played for him at Virginia Tech. And when Jerry Claiborne came to Kentucky, we were at Murray State at the time, and we used to do a lot of stuff with their staff. And Jerry Claiborne was a, as straight as an arrow, you know, 
just as straight as the arrow is as long as long as it long as it goes that's how jerry was he was straight and just a a good person and i remember one time he was telling me he goes mike he goes now and for jerry this would have been a racy comment he goes no no i could you know you've been in this business a long time when he goes when you're going to be out there recruiting and he goes and uh you know you're going to look at the mothers of the recruits and they're going to look they're going to look good looking and i said uh I said, I said, hey, the most of my recruits look young. I mean, they look young right now. And where I'm at, I'm blessed. I'm coaching um, sons of my players. I'm coaching a son of my teammate and a couple of my teammates at the University of Cincinnati. And so I've gotten to that point where I've been actively recruiting over the last several years sons of my former players here at Bridgewater. And that's kind of neat. I think being a stationary target it's really allowed me to kind of keep build those relationships and keep them. And that's been kind of nice. I'm honored to say uh, some, I'm not a guy when, when people are here, I consider myself a player's coach, maybe an analyst. I'm trying to get you prepared, but I'm going to try to take care of you, but I'm not everybody's buddy. And and I do think that the fact that um, I have former players that I now consider some of my best friends, you talked about coming off of that a great 2019 season. And obviously, you know, obviously not being able to participate in the fall is a disappointment for everybody. And, and not that we haven't said that 100,000 times. What did you guys do in the fall in terms of like football activities? How many of your 114 days or whatever did you guys end up using? Well, we set up, we had a little bit of a shutdown the first couple of weeks. I mean, when our kids got back to campus, uh, there were breakouts, I think, in women's volleyball and men's lacrosse. The athletic department actually shut down for two weeks. So we got a little bit of a late start. We never went to contact. We felt if we did that, there was a commitment to the testing that we weren't prepared to do at the time. Um, gosh, we went through three acclimation periods. We had phase one for about three weeks, phase two in phase three. And in phase three, we we were able to have groups of 50 on the field together. We were in helmets. It would have been like extended acclimation days that we division three is used to, or, you know, how we would normally run a spring ball. Only this time we did have helmets on where in the past you kind of kept your fingers crossed and didn't. Um, but we, you know, we only went three days a week. Uh, I think if you looked at it, we, I think we had 27 workouts, 27 quote practices, though some of those, you wouldn't recognize that as a football practice, but I do, I do think this, you know, Pat, you know, when we had that shutdown that first two weeks, you know, I had kids coming and, and sitting in my office and saying, is it worth my time to stay around here? I can't lift. We're not allowed on the fields. We're not. And I said, guys, I don't have a crystal ball. I can promise you where we will get to in the fall. I just cannot do that right now. Um, but I will say this, uh, on our last Saturday, which was November 21st, it was a beautiful 55 degree day and we're out on the turf. And I remember when I talked to each of the groups, we had a morning group and a break and then a little bit of an afternoon group. I said, you guys that stayed got something out of this. I, I do believe they did. Um, now, you know, who, how we come back here in January, our kids are just not getting back to campus this weekend we're going to face a big challenge. We're going to face a, face a big challenge because you know, once we put pads and once we introduce competition, you know, we're going to talk about uh, comprehensive testing and certainly sometimes um, ignorance can protect you. Uh, protect ain't the right word, but you know what I'm trying to say. What don't ask, don't tell. And, 
But I think in this situation where we're at right now is that, you know, we're going to find out, you know, can we pull this off? Um, um, I'm hoping, I think we, we, we've laid some great groundwork. Uh, gosh, we've got our sports medicine staff. They've worked overtime to try to, you know, provide and protect this opportunity for our kids. And I'm, you know, grateful for what they're going to do, but it's going to be an all, all hands on deck proposition. And you guys start uh, the first Friday night of March. When do you guys, like, when will you start practice then uh, leading up to that? What we're doing is we're going to, we have to have administrative things. We're going to get done here for about four or five days. Our, our kids will begin an acclimation program on Friday. There's a two week acclimation return to play thing that they have to do and they have to complete mm -hmm. through our run bar strength and conditioning people. Once they get through that, I mean, right now we're scheduled to begin practice the last Friday in January. For Bridgewater, uh, the rest of the ODAC is starting the last Friday in February, but our assigned open date was actually week one in a five-week calendar. So we'll pull that extra week in there, and certainly we, we've had to adjust our schedules and keep our fingers crossed because we got one beautiful turf field, and that I've got some great grass fields, but... I'm one snowstorm away from having a little bit of problem using those. So yeah, a lot of good things, a lot of the right things are going to have to happen, but certainly I'm looking forward to the challenge and I'm really excited to get our kids back to campus. Um, you know, throughout the fall, Pat, I just got more, a lot, I have tremendous respect for the kids that have hung with us because, you know, their energy and gosh, we, by the time we got to September, I was introducing them to plan four. you know, we, playing one and two in the spring and three in the summer and four when they got here. And, and every time you had to put a new plan together and say, will you buy in? You know, we kept saying adapt. Will you adjust? Will you buy in? You know, they were there sitting on the edge of their seat. So um, you know, our numbers will be a little lower as they always are, you know, in, in a division three college situation in January. And, you know, certainly there's a, there's a couple key positions. We're going to have to keep our fingers crossed in terms of health and, and, and we talk about uh, COVID injuries too, because the idea, certainly we all had our fingers crossed in November that this would be tamped down. It's not, you know, we're, it's going to be a COVID spring that we're going to have to manage. What was your, what was your fall like? You know, what was it like having free time? I assume that you never probably felt you uh, ever would have in September, October. Uh, you know, is that like time with the grandkids? Is that like time watching D1 games on TV or headed down to Virginia Tech or back to Cincinnati or what? I, we didn't do much traveling. And my, my daughter that has the grandchildren, she's very strict. Uh, matter of fact, I saw my grandchildren today outdoors um, because she knew once the college kids started coming around, I'm off limits. Yeah. So it's one of those deals. I would no, I, I didn't do my, it, we, I walked to work. Uh, we stayed local. Um, now we were very busy. I, I will say this. Uh, we studied football. We recruited very hard. No one can, that we're going to be, we're going around the clock here in January. So are, are we heavily put a lot of emphasis on the recruiting component um, to try to get that done. Now there were times I, I told the story, Pat, where, the, the first Saturday in September, there was a shutdown. So the building was shut down. We couldn't get in. Um, I couldn't come to work. Uh, mm -hmm. We didn't see players. And, and that was really the first Saturday since 
September, from September 1975 until then, my first Saturday in September as a player or a coach revolved around college football. You know, I was involved on some level in a college, on a college football, in a college football game um, until that Saturday. Uh, I didn't know what to do. And my son-in-law turned me on to fly fishing. Uh, he, he bought me a setup last spring for my birthday. And um, I was fa fascinated by it. I enjoy it tremendously. It's kind of replaced fishing you know, is my, uh, my sport. And, and I, when I got up real early, I got up around six in the morning and, and I drove way out into the mountains and, and got on some mountain stream and I fly fished for brook trout for about six and a half hours. I didn't see a human being. I had a better chance of seeing a bear than I did a human being. And I remember as, as I was coming back that afternoon, driving back uh, to Bridgewater, I thought it September, whatever it was, Saturday, won the football game, and I still had a good day. <laughs> so that might, have, that might have been one of the many epiphanies I have because, you know, I sit there and I listen to some of these other guys, and it's like, you would think they were in purgatory burning. And I have heard from other coaches, I, I think, who come who came out of the fall thinking, maybe, just maybe I could live without football. And, and maybe that's, um, you know, not a, a thing for me to say on this podcast, but uh, it, it's. It, I was wondering if, indeed, as you said, that that was going to be one of your uh, reasons or one of the signs that uh, this might be the time to, uh, you know, to kind of ease your way out. I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, I think that you know, I saw that. Um, gosh, I remember. I, I'm always asked. My competition would always throw this to the recruits we were on. You know. A parent would ask me, are you going to be here when my son graduates? That's been going on for about last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd say, you know, when I first got here in 1995, people always asked me that because I was making was a transition, forced transition from Division One. I was asked that all the time through, through, are you still going to be here? And it's like, obviously I am. But, but if they, you know, at that time, I, I, I had different lines. And one time I would tell them, oh, if your son, if, I, if I'm not the coach here again, your son will have a championship ring on because one of the things I was one of the long goals I had, I wanted to get us back to championship level. You know, we did accomplish that in 19. Um, subtle things. I mean, I'm blessed. I, I paid off my house last spring. You know, I walked to work and my house is paid off. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I don't know. Yeah, there's just those, those drops. And then I think the other thing that, and I think you see it in a lot of different professions, you know, not, not just mine. My dad always had a great line. He said, make sure you leave the party when they're still sorry to see you go. And I think that there's some truth to that. But but the guys on my staff, Pat, and I don't know if you ever get a chance, come and get to know these people. I mean, I, I probably have one of the stronger staffs I've had. I've had some great coaches with me. You know, they I don't I haven't done this in a vacuum. I've had people do a lot of the tough work. And, and as a head coach, you'll get the book too much blame when it's bad and too much credit when it's good. And we all live with that. But, you know, the guys on my staff, they're my children's age. And yeah. I see the work that they do. I see how they understand technology, how they relate to the kids. And, and in the back of your mind, certainly the guy that Bridgewater, I recommended very highly. And then the powers to be at Bridgewater, I'm very glad to say agreed with me, you know, offering this job to Scott Lem. Um, it was a great run, but I think it's the next generation's turn. And, and I think sometimes we see it in our political system. You see people just hanging around, you know, hanging and hanging on to power. And in the end, it's like, pass the torch. 
once I knew that I felt comfortable and I knew the school was comfortable passing this torch to Scott Lem, that really helped me. That was kind of the final straw that said, if they'll do that, I'm going, it's, it's, it's his turn now. Starting April 4th, <laughs> as I told the coaches, I told the players, I said, I'm the head coach. And that's until that final April 4th. And then it becomes Scott Lem's program. So I still have all the votes if I need them. Fly fishing. Okay, so like that's not my thing personally, but I I don't know what my thing personally would be in retirement. I feel like I'm even though I'm old, I can't imagine what retirement would sound like. I just know that in that part of Virginia, there are a ton of spots to do that sort of thing in. You know, I dabbled a little bit with fly fishing uh, back in my younger days up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it's rather enjoyable and uh, really uh, a really tremendous way to uh, practice your social distancing and and break the quarantine of the house. I don't know about the bears. I could do without that. But um, getting out onto the stream is probably a nice way to uh, break the quarantine and add a little recreation during uh, during the COVID times. He's like, these first two guys are both talking about doing stuff that could uh, involve outside and bears. I was not aware that this was a theme of this podcast. It did not occur to me. <laughs> Unintentional themes. Who knew? He he mentioned early on in the interview uh, his Bridgewater team that went to the Stag Bowl and played against Mount Union lost uh, a really good game, 30-27 to 27 there. But as I, I thought about that a little bit more and – it's really an amazing, uh, an amazing achievement for coaches at Division Three to bring their team to the national championship game. In the AQ era since uh, 1999 uh, to the present, you know, there's a really small and exclusive list of coaches that have coached in that game. And, and Mike Clark is part of that small group. Yeah, when you think about uh, you know the coaches uh, who didn't coach Whitewater or Mount Union or didn't coach Mary Harden Baylor or St. Thomas, some of the schools that have been there multiple times over the twenty-one seasons that we've had, both a Stag Bowl and automatic bids. Um, yeah, that group gets really, really small. Uh, Clark is one of these guys, though, that I, I think uh, I will definitely miss, and it is a loss for Division Three football. I'm going to go back to I've told this story. And Keith has heard this story and podcast listeners, if they remember correctly, have have, hold, have heard this story at least once. But this is my my first real experience with Mike Clark. It's a Friday night game, uh, Bridgewater at Johns Hopkins back in 1999. And, you know, uh, Bridgewater the previous year in 98 was five and five. And for them, that was huge. This was like this huge high watermark for Bridgewater. They, they were coming off, you know, winless seasons and they had just not been very good at all uh, before Mike Clark got there. So this night up at uh, Hopkins, they're losing by a couple of touchdowns in the third quarter or so and uh, lightning strikes. So that's an automatic, you know, half hour delay of the game. Um, your rain's been coming down pretty heavily, obviously, as well. Um, and the, you know, I think lightning strikes again a couple of times. There's a, it turns out to be a pretty long delay in this game. And, you know, what Coach Clark told his players at some point during this extended extra halftime, but he told them that Jim Margraff, the Johns Hopkins head coach, came to them, came to him and said, hey, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll offer to call this game off right now. We don't have to go back out there and finish it. And Mike Clark took that back to his players and said, hey, they don't think you want to finish this game. Don't you want to go back out there and win this game? And they did, like in the 
uh, 20 minutes or so of game time that was left. It was all Bridgewater. They came back. They won that game. And it's really kind of this part of this springboard forward from 99 through 2000 and into the 2001 Stag Bowl. A lot of those same guys played in that game. In the run-up to the 01 Stag Bowl, we re-ran that story. Or I referenced it in something. And I got a call from Johns Hopkins saying, hey, you know, by the way, that thing, that, that never happened. We never offered them... You know, we never offered to have them surrender. And I, I went back to Mike Clark with this and he said, yeah, you know, to be honest with you, that was just a story I told the kids. And I'm like, I can be honest with you. I think it's better that way. It is better that, you know, you took the opportunity to fabricate, uh, exaggerate, prevaricate. I'm running out of things that end in Kate to get your team motivated to go back out and win that game. For some reason, I that was that to me was far more interesting than what it was, uh, than what we had thought it was in 1999. And that's the sort of kind of old school thinking that I really uh, enjoyed. And he loves, he's great at telling stories. There are far more things in that interview that could possibly have been included in this podcast. And some of them are in the bonus feed on Patreon as well. Coaches, they're not just not just uh, not just X's and O's guys. They're also psychiatrists and, and motivational motivational guys by by any means necessary, right? Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Jason Vactel, the brand new, brand new head coach at Howard Payne University. His team, uh, you know, he met and now has to put on the field in the span of about four weeks. Coach, I really appreciate that in all of that, you have the time to join us for this interview too. Yeah, thanks for having me, pal. Well, so tell us a little bit about, you know, this whirlwind, uh, you know, transition, uh, you know, the, um, you know, Coach Harris uh, announced his departure, you know, basically right before Christmas. I've never seen a school move so fast over a holiday break to get somebody hired. And then, you know, you jump right in, practices right away, and, and then games. So tell us what it was like uh, just pursuing this job in the first place. Yeah, so um, I, I think the actual date that he um, let um, Hunter Sims and, and um, Dr. Hines, our president, know was December the 18th, sometime in the afternoon. And um, I was actually in the process of um, playing a state championship high school football game here in Texas. And um, we actually won. And then about an hour after the ball game, I get a phone call from Hunter Sims. And of course, I'm looking at the phone and I'm saying, man, Hunter, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Hunter, just text me congratulations. That, that would be fine. But you know, he and I laugh about that now. So I took the phone call and um, he said, hey, congratulations. Great win. I watched the ball game, but I've got something else I need to talk to you about. And immediately I'm thinking, oh, you know, what's what's going on? You know, higher pain area that I love. He says, well, I need a I need a head football coach. And I said, OK, um, so what are you trying to tell me, Hunter? He said, well, I'd like to talk to you about it. And I said, well, Okay. I said, let's talk again tomorrow. Let me have time to celebrate with our kids and coaches. 
and then we can discuss some more tomorrow. And um, he said, yeah, he said, that's probably my fault for calling you on, on a night where you just won a state championship. But he said, I got to move fast. And um, I said, I get it. And so um, here we are, you know, it's um, kind of one of those deals that my wife and I tossed around quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, had some good thoughts and good discussions and we had some thoughts of maybe that's not where we need to be at this point. And then, you know, finally, um, we, we came to the conclusion that that's, that's where we needed to be. And that's kind of a place that we've always wanted to get back to. And, and so here we are. And, um, you know, two weeks later, I'm being introduced to the, to the, um, to the school and to our kids for the first time. And very next day we are entering in on the practice field. And so it's been a very fast turnaround. Um, you know, luckily for me, um, being out at East Texas Baptist a couple years prior to me being at Argyle High School, I'd already kept up with, with hard pain. Um, you know, obviously knew Braxton pretty well and knew Hunter pretty well. So I knew what was going on in the program. And um, so it, it made it, I guess, a lot more seamless in the transition than what some would would say. Yeah, I mean, I know for some people, you might think a, a call like that comes from out of the blue, but you are, uh, as you said, you know, a former ASC assistant coach, and I think more importantly, a Howard Payne alum, right? So is that something, yeah, so is that something that was in your, that was in your mind previously? It was like, you know, someday I would like to go back and, and coach again at Howard Payne? Yeah, so, um, you know, that's a, um, a big deal to me. Obviously, I played, um, from 1999 until 2001 and, and really played at a time where hard pain football was um, one of the elite programs and um, in the national rankings and was always playing for a um, ASC conference championship. And um, I played for Vance Gibson. Um, and a little bit about the backstory is, you know, hard pain is hard pain. Football is all about family to me, you know, um, I got an uncle and my and my father are both in the um, Hard Pain Hall of Fame playing football. Um, I got two other cousins who who played for Vance Gibson in the early '90s who were also All Americans. Um, and so, when I talk about Hard Pain, I, I truly mean it's a family aspect, and um, it, that's something special. And um, you know, I, I worked with Vance Gibson out at, at East Texas Baptist as well. He was the offensive line coach out there for us when I was the offense coordinator. And, and so he and I have had the conversations about going back and I consider him a mentor. And so that was obviously something that um, I've always wanted to do. I wanted to follow in his footsteps. I wanted to, to be as great as he was. Um, and, and that's just, that, that was something that I've always looked forward to. And then when I get the phone call, you know, the timing probably wasn't the best for us um, because I've got two, two older girls that, I've got a senior in high school and a sophomore in high school. And, and obviously me being a coach, I've moved around a lot, but I, I left it completely up to them on whether or not we were going to Howard Payne or not. And, and they are 100% on board. And, um, and so here we are. So. Yeah. My Texas geography is not as good as it could be. So how far is Brownwood from Argyle? Yeah. So it's about a two and a half hour drive. Um, so Argyle is on, it's just south of Denton and north of Fort Worth. You know, it's about, it's honestly, my house is six miles from North Texas campus. 
Um, and so it's, it's up in the Northern part, but it's about two and a half hours drive. I mean, I know that two and a half hours of driving in Texas is considered not a big deal. Uh, but you know, is this a situation where you are commuting or you guys are going to be separated for a while or what, how's that going to work out? Do you think? Yeah. So, um, kind of one of the things that I, um, I knew going in is that, um, obviously coach Harris had already assembled a pretty good football staff. And, um, you know, so we had two coordinators there that are going to coordinate both sides of the ball. We've also got another, um, coach that's going to coordinate the special teams and and this season this spring season I'm going to act probably more like a CEO and just be an oversight and make sure that I'm a sounding board for those guys Um, one you know because of the COVID season it allowed these guys to have a fall practice schedule and to come in and just completely change everything on the drop of a hat I don't think that's fair to our coaches and I don't i surely don't think it's fair to our kids and um and i've already seen the process in which hired pain football since braxton got here to where he left is on an upward climb and so to come in and just say we're going to completely change i think it would be foolish on my part and so i'm going to handle a lot more of the ceo run the day-to-day operations of of the business so with that my wife and i are, are kind of still commuting so my wife is actually still working out at East Texas Baptist. Oh, wow. Um, and so she's been commuting. And um, she, so she commutes part-time and works from home part-time. So I'm kind of doing the same thing. We're, we're scheduling our um, practices around times where, um, you know, with COVID testing and, and being out 72 hours, then we're, we're kind of adjusting. So where there's times where we may not be practicing as much. I'm at home with our kids. And when I'm in Brownwood, then my wife's home with our kids. So we're kind of playing a back and forth, making sure family comes first and that they are taken care of before anything else. And um, to say that Dr. Hines and, and Hunter Sims have not been very overly supportive in that aspect has been, that's an understatement. And if, if they weren't, then, you know, we probably wouldn't be at hard pain. And um, so they, they, they value the family. And, and that's a, that's a huge thing for our, for our family right now. So how do you get, you know, to know these kids, right? The, the guys who you inherit, not just your staff, of course, but the, the players you're going to be putting on the field here in a few weeks. How, how do you get to do that in the course of such a short time? These guys have been great. You know, they've been very receptive to what, what I'm preaching and what I'm trying to, to get accomplished. Um, you know, again, we're just building off of what Braxton's already done, obviously. And, and, and so to say that, um, obviously we have some leadership council meetings through zoom and, um, had an awesome meeting with some of those guys, about 12 of them yesterday. And, you know, just getting to know who they are and, and reading the room and, um, and they get to hear my voice and hear and hear them speak. And then, you know, every time that we're on campus, I make it a point that if we've got any single player in the locker room that that I'm out of the office, I'm not in, I'm not hidden away in the office. I'm out with those guys in the locker room and you know high fiving them and talking to them and trying to learn a little bit about them. And you know, um, several of the kids 
you know, I, I figured out who's from certain areas and, and I can make a connection with those guys. And, um, you know, I got a kid in, in our locker room right now that, that grew up in the same town that my parents grew up in. And so we got a connection like that. And, you know, so I just make it a point to be very um, practical with my time, but also making sure that those guys know that I'm more worried about relationships with those guys and talking to them and learning them than I am sitting in my office watching video, you know, because, you know, I think bottom line is if, if those kids know that, that you love them and, and that you trust them and, and care for them, they're going to run through a brick wall for you. What are the things that you guys are focused on in this in this pretty short time frame between now and February 6th when you guys take the field against Texas Lutheran? I think the biggest thing is you, you've got to be very simple. Um, you know, and when I say that is you've got to make sure that you put all kids in a position to succeed, um, you know, because you're going to you're going to see where um, I mean, I think a perfect example is last night you you got your Heisman Trophy winner who in the first half he's going off and then all of a sudden you have an injury and he's no longer there. But the production wasn't it hadn't changed. Um, you've got to have a next man up mentality. And so in order to keep things simple you allow the next man up mentality to, to build confidence amongst all your kids um, so that when their number is called, they're ready to go make that play. And um, I think as coaches, I think you got to make sure that you're very diligent in building confidence as well. And, um, you know, and I, I keep saying simple and, and I think that's huge. And in, in, in this time where um, again, you don't know, you don't know when somebody is hit with either COVID or contact tracing and, and they're out for a ball game. And, you know, in, in some cases it could be two. And so all of a sudden you're looking up and you're playing with an 18 year old or a 19 year old freshman sophomore that, that you hope for in the future that they're going to be a big time star for you, but now it's, it's there. And um, if you if you're not simple enough in your schemes and, and um, your game plan, then they're left behind and and then you're scrambling, you know, so I think you got to have a day one mentality. And when I say that is your day one of of install plans is usually what kids know the most. And when, you know, I, I, I even told our kids here at Argyle that, you know, the state championship ball game this past December our head coach came out and he says, what are you going to do in the second half? I said, coach, we're going back to day one. And he says, what? I said, we're just going back to day one principles because day one principles have gotten us this far. Our kids know what day one is on our install plan and they execute it. And so when you have the day one install mentality, your kids ought to know everything that's on day one and they should have repped it a thousand times. And now they know how to work it. So Jason talks about the next man up mentality. And I think that even in a short season, it's more necessary this year than any other. There's going to be lots of opportunities for student athletes to play this year. You know, obviously, if you're at a, a school that's playing, uh, even if you're lower on the depth chart, because, you know, between players who test positive for COVID and others who have to sit for a game or two for contact tracing, you might find yourself shooting up from pretty low on the depth chart at a moment's notice. Yeah, if we learned anything from following the FBS and NFL seasons this fall, uh, we learned that keeping COVID off of your football roster is unlikely, if not impossible. 
uh, Division three teams and especially teams like Howard Payne that are going to get started early in February are going to be impacted by COVID and roster management is going to be critical uh, for those teams to be able to get through their, sh- their short seasons without postponements or cancellations. And then uh, beyond COVID, we don't know how teams are going to approach their games this spring. Uh, are they going to use these games as developmental opportunities for underclassmen that they're projecting as starters or key players in fall of 21? Uh, are teams going to stay within the two deep like you would expect them to during a regular season with uh, conference championships and playoffs on the line? Uh, some teams may approach this season that way. Uh, so there are a lot of unknowns about what the spring games are going to look like. Uh, but I think it's a safe bet that a lot of players are going to get opportunities to play this spring. Yeah, and I would have to think, too, that, you know, where your program or where your coach falls on this particular spectrum might change from week to week, game to game. It might change in the middle of a game, right? Um, you know, if uh, you've all of a sudden you've lost, you know, your top two quarterbacks or something like that, it may feel more developmental then and you may, you know, do things a little bit differently in order to, you know, play it more like you're getting ready for the fall. I think that, you know, that's going to be one of the, it's not, I'm not going to say interesting. It's going to be one of the things that's more difficult to figure out about these spring games is like who is treating it like a championship season and who is treating it like extended spring practice with a bunch of spring games. And that'll be something that we'll have to kind of look at on a game by game basis. I mean, that'll be interesting too, right? I mean, those of us who are going to be voting in a poll, and I would suggest that we'll probably have something resembling a top 25 in the spring because we're going to have a hundred teams playing, um, you know, but then we'll have to figure out, you know, how to balance that information as well. Right. I don't even know who knows who's eligible, who's eligible to know. Well, that's the other thing, too. It's like uh, Mount Union, for example, uh, a couple of times like back in August or whatever said, oh, this guy is not coming back. He's not playing this year. And that was back when we weren't sure if uh, guys were going to get charged for a year of eligibility for this. You know, and then it was a while where we thought that, you know, five games or fewer, you weren't going to get you weren't going to have to use a year of eligibility but anybody more than that would. And now it's like nobody is going to get uh, charged with a year of eligibility for any of this. But of course, you know, uh, anybody who uses a year of eligibility or, you know, maybe just continues to go to school because that's something we do at the Division three level uh, is then going to be considering, like, say, am I going to spend, you know, $20,000 plus of tuition and who knows of room and board to play an extra fall at, on the tail end of my career I suppose there are going to be obviously there are going to be lots of guys who do that and maybe they not everybody has to make that decision for fall of 21. Some of these guys won't make that decision till fall of 23 or maybe even 24 uh, where they'll know a little bit more about where their career is and where their program is and that sort of thing. But that's another of the many things to kind of consider here. Yeah, and different schools are doing different things with um, allowances for extra semesters for students. I believe I've seen um, Wartburg, I believe, is a school that is allowing students to come back for um, a ninth semester or or maybe a fifth year entirely uh, tuition-free uh, students that have been affected by uh, the, the COVID pandemic. So 
you know, the, that's certainly not a policy that applies to every school. And, you know, student athletes are going to have different choices and different opportunities depending on where they're going to school. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Now is the time of the podcast where we dive into Twitter. We know you have questions. Oh my God, you have questions. So we throw out that reminder when it's time to hit us up when we step into the studio. Uh, we've picked three out of uh, what I thought was a really great list. And this podcast is already going to be a little long, especially since we haven't had one in three months. Um, but uh, we're going to uh, we're going to tackle these three right here. And the first one comes from at Nicholas A. Jones, who asks, do you guys think that the teams that get to practice slash play in the spring will have a big advantage come the hopefully more normal fall? Hashtag D3FB. First off, boy, hopefully more normal is about as much as you can couch that, but I think pretty accurate because who knows? I think like we have some hopes that the fall will be hopefully more normal, but uh, good question. I So I think that, you know, teams that get to practice and play, uh, to a, I think to a point are going to have some benefit. Um, I think some of the questions are going to be, you know, around, you know, are there guys who get hurt in the spring and then, you know, that keeps them out for the fall. And then what does, you know, some of these conferences that are playing seven games, uh, you know, do they then kind of scale back their fall a little bit because of wear and tear on student athletes bodies? Or if you're the UMAC, that's not finishing until May 8th. Then do you you uh, maybe scale back your schedule and only play nine games instead of ten and start a week later just to try to lengthen that off season as well? I think the biggest questions are going to be around what does your off season look like and do your eyes guys all come out healthy? Because other than that, man, Greg, I see only positives aside from that. Yeah, and it's this is something that's been talked about um, a lot of times in the around the nation podcast space. Uh, Usually this topic comes up about uh, the teams that we see going deep in the playoffs over and over and over and how come the same teams are able to go deeper and deeper all of the time. And the answer that you and Keith give all of the time is that those teams are getting four and five extra weeks of practice every year. And so, you know, that's that success kind of sustains itself because those teams are getting additional practice opportunities, additional game opportunities that other teams are not. So this spring, the teams and programs that are able to practice and play and use those 114 days uh, to get better are going to you know, have an advantage over schools and teams that aren't able to have students on campus or participate in athletics uh, this spring. So yeah, I mean, I think just the... The ability to get out and practice and rep some stuff and maybe play some games will make you better. Next question comes from Zach Hamstra. That's at Zach underscore Ham 10, who asks, do you think this spring season will create more chaotic and wide open conference races or lead to an even greater divide between the have and have nots of every conference? Great question here, too, as well. I think some of this harkens back to what I was uh, talking about earlier in that you don't know who's coming back for everybody. and You don't know how... Um, you know, how each coach, like Greg said, is going to treat it. Is it going to be more like uh, extended spring training? I, I can't help but throw a baseball reference into every podcast, I guess. Um, or is it going to be treated like a championship for everybody? And I think, too, you know, one of the things is that 
these uh, conferences that are splitting into divisions are splitting, you know, for convenience's sake. It's for, you know, keeping teams close together geographically. It's not necessarily set up so that, uh, though at the end, in that fifth week, when you have that championship game, you know, you might not have... Uh, what am I trying to say? You may have your two best teams on one side of the conference versus the other, right? So I think that'll be interesting as well. So, But the nice thing is that I guess at the end you have this championship game and somebody has a chance to win that outright conference championship in just about every one of these leagues. That's true. And I think in a in a shorter season, you got you might have a a better chance for an underdog to sneak an upset and um, carry through to a championship game where over the course of a, a nine game conference round robin, an underdog team that springs an upset somewhere may not be able to hang on and, and get to the end and finish it out and, and win the league and get to the playoffs. So, uh, you know, shorter seasons, you know, shorter seasons, shorter game clocks, those kinds of things favor underdogs. And so you might you might see some surprising results this spring uh, with with conference champions and those conference championship games. I thought you were going to make a baseball reference there too. It's like you went all the way up to the line. We're talking about a short series and then just stopped right there. I was super impressed. Trying to keep it on topic. And our final question. <laughs> and our final question comes from Mike Shaw at anti underscore Hedo. Um, I'm just going to, I'm not going to try to interpret that, but he asks, do you think division three football conferences will have a full 10 game schedule in the fall of 2021? It would be nice if they bounce back next season with normalcy exclamation point D three football tournament back this year will be thumbs up emoji. Well, I definitely agree with, uh, it would be nice if they bounce back with normalcy, obviously. Um, I guess I kind of previewed this answer a moment ago in which, you know, maybe there are going to be conferences who, might not or teams within conferences who might not play a full non-conference schedule but i think that you know obviously and greg you kind of live in the current epicenter of the coronavirus situation in uh, southern california but i think they're going to be the question is going to be more not about the will or the planning of the conferences but whether we actually will have the ability everywhere to play full schedules and have everybody on campus and the things that that requires. Yes. That's, you know, a lot of, a lot of what happens in the fall is going to uh, be dependent on what happens over the next two or three or four months um, in the country in terms of, uh, you know, getting, getting the coronavirus under control, getting, getting folks vaccinated and making it safe for people to be around one another again. You know, um, I, I think that I think that we have a good chance to have a fairly full and mostly normal fall schedule. I think most conferences are going to schedule a full conference slate. Non-conference games, we'll see what happens. We'll we'll need to see what happens with travel and that sort of thing for non-conference games. Um, but I, I I would expect in fall we'll see you know mostly a normal schedule, at least full conference schedules. Um, you know, we'll probably still be playing with some sort of COVID protocols around around the games, and we may see some cancellations and postponements here and there as as COVID still exists among our communities. Um, but I I I'm hopeful that we're not going to see postponements and cancellations on the order of, you know, thirty percent of games like we saw week to week during the FBS season. 
Yeah, I think if a normal D3 football season is about 1,250 games that I would probably expect to see between 1,150 and 1,200 played next year. I think some of that too will be, you know, maybe there's a school or two that doesn't have a fall schedule because it doesn't exist in the fall. Um, you know, we've uh, already lost lost more than one football program at the end of last year. And, you know, there's lots of questions, obviously, as to what's going to happen at uh, this fall with Wesley and, again, many other schools that we don't even have a, a necessarily a concept of. So I think that'll be one of the determining factors as well. So I would say one more thing, one more pitch for the uh, Patreon subscribers. So we have like a little additional content from each of our three interviewees in this uh, from this podcast that is available to Patreon subscribers only. If you are not familiar with what we're doing there, then go to the front page of d3football.com or D3 Hoops or D3 Baseball or D3 Sports where we talk about, you know, what we're doing to keep the lights on around here because, you know, with the schedule having gone away in the fall, you know, about 93% of our revenue went away in the fall. And it, there's obviously a lot of costs that we can and did cut, but uh, there are some fixed costs that never go away. Like, you know, running servers. Running servers is very important for a website, very important for a podcast. Uh, so check that out. Uh, and you'll hear Mike Clark especially talk about the great reset that uh, is coming up in college football. Um, I think that's uh, going to be a big deal in Division 3 too as well. And Greg and I are going to talk about that on that particular podcast, but not this one because this was Around the Nation podcast number 279 released on January 18th, 2021. Thanks for listening. And, you know, keep an eye on our continuing coverage throughout the upcoming spring football season. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Google or Stitcher or the place you get your podcast probably has a rating system. We'd love to see that because that'll help other football fans find it. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page or you can reach out to talk more on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith McMillan, again, on assignment for this particular podcast. He's at D3Keith. Greg is at Wally Wabash. Uh, we have a message board also devoted to Division Three Sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow us on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Basically, that's his voice you heard introducing us. Well, introducing Keith and me back at the beginning of the podcast. Our theme music and a lot of the other music used in this podcast is by DJ Mentos, who you can find at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to our guests, Quinn Miners, Mike Clark, and Jason Bachtel, as well as sports information directors Chris Lindecki, Jimmy McCumber, and Abram Cho for their time and assistance putting together this edition of our show. Thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan, and thanks to Greg Thomas for stepping in. Definitely appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Always happy to be Around the Nation with you. It is certainly so much better than me just babbling into a microphone all by myself. I know there are podcasters who do it that way, and... I don't think anybody wants to hear me talk that much. I think it depends on what you have to say. I know that my kids who are now walking around in the kitchen right over my head obviously don't care to listen to what I have to say because I asked them not to do that during the course of this podcast. Anyway, whatever happens here during the spring, we'll be here to cover it. Thanks to people who have subscribed to us on Patreon and other people who have donated to us as well. That's very helpful. We will continue to do new podcasts now here through the spring. And, you know, as this as I look at this calendar and as the season goes, we might do like weekly podcasts in March. So we'll see. 
Does this mean we probably don't do a rollout since we got to now turn around and record another something something? I don't. This is the first. This is the first one. We're setting precedent here. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.